Good, glad you'll be here. Hey, uh, good morning. My name's Ross. I'm one of the pastors here at Bethel, and I want to say Merry Christmas to you. I'm so glad that you're here this morning and trust that you uh, are spending time with some family or friends and that you um, are enjoying just the time off from the regular schedule and pace of your life. I, I hope that you're doing that. If not, I hope you will do that uh, real soon. The other thing I want to do is I want to say look, it has been a long time since we have had Bethel kids here in our morning service. And so I, you guys are rock stars. I'm so glad that you're here. here here's what I want to do. If it's easy for you, would you stand up? And you can even stand on the chair so that all the old people can see you, all right? All, and I'm an old person. All right. Hey, glad y'all are here this morning. Glad you're here. And uh, if you wonder, you can call, if you see me uh, in uh, the hallway or uh, here in the sanctuary, you can just call me Ross, okay? You just, if it's okay with your parents, you can just call me Ross. That's, that's all you got to say. Um, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to look at, this morning, Luke chapter 2 that Stellan read so wonderfully this morning. And I'm going to be looking at the last part of it where uh, the angel comes and uh, announces to the shepherds out in the field that Jesus has been born. And then the shepherds will travel uh, to go find Mary and the child, and we will get to see what happens there. See, the thing about the shepherds is uh, one of the important things to know is that they're the nobodies. The nobodies and the, the not wanted. They would have been the group of people that if you saw them at the, at the uh, grocery store, you saw them at the market, you would not have stopped to say hello to the shepherds. They're the people, actually, that you'd like to forget. The stories and the scenes that you wish you couldn't remember. It's kind of what they represent. And yet what we see this morning is God's grace is going to burst through. You're going to see God's grace come as surprising as he announces the most significant event to ever happen in history up to this point to a group of nobodies that are out on the side of a hill tending their sheep. One of my favorite Christmas stories and, um, I like to read it this time of year. We read it as a family, and I've read it here on Sunday morning a couple of times. But since we had Bethel kids here this morning, I thought it would be a good morning to read a little bit of the best Christmas pageant ever. I'll tell you a little bit about it. Uh, Barbara Robinson's the author, and she writes about this family called the Herdmans. And she says this, the Herdmans were the worst kids in the whole history of the world. They lied and stole and smoked cigars, even the girls, and talked dirty and cussed their teachers and took the name of the Lord in vain and set fire to Fred Shoemaker's old broken-down tool house. The six Herdman children had no father, and their mother worked two jobs. They stole lunches, got in fights, never really bathed, and pretty much ran wild, terrorizing the other kids at school. Church was the one place the other kids felt safe because the Herdmans would never set foot here. 
But then the herdmen's heard the church offered refreshments after Sunday school. So they began to show up for the cookies and Kool-Aid. When the church held auditions for the annual Christmas pageant, the herdmen's threatened other children and grabbed all the best parts. They're not what you'd call model citizens or Christians. And the townspeople didn't want to have anything to do with them. The narrator tells us, Elmer Hopkins, the minister's son, has been Joseph for as long as I can remember, and my friend Alice Wendelkin is Mary because she's so smart, so neat and clean, and most of all, so holy-looking. The parents all rebelled against the idea of the herdmen children being cast in the pageant. Alice's mother told the ladies that it was sacrilege to let Imogene Herdman be Mary. Some people said it wasn't fair for the whole family who didn't even go to our church to barge in and take over the pageant. So nobody wanted to let their infant play the baby Jesus if Imogene Herdman was going to be Mary. Everyone in the church assumed that the Christmas pageant starring the Herdmans would be a disaster. See, the thing is, though, the Herdmans, they're the very type of people to whom Jesus Christ came to reach out to. The the people on the fringe of society, the nobodies, the not-wanteds. The story, the herdmen's you find out, they end up crashing into the surprising grace of the story of Jesus. Well, here back in Luke 2, if you look with me, a baby's born. That's what happens in the first seven verses. Baby's born to Mary just as the angel had come and told her that it would be. And the scene moves from the baby being wrapped in the swaddling clothes and laid in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And the scene switches, and we get out to the hillside outside of the city, and it's nighttime. And there's a group of shepherds out there, and they're watching over their flock. And an angel appears and is the first preacher of the gospel. It's what it means when he says, I bring you good news of great joy. That's the gospel. And listen, angels are scary. I mean, I guess they are. Every time you see an angel encountered, the first words they always have to say to the people that they show up to are, fear not. They've just come from the presence of God, and they're they're shining bright with God's glory. And it's fearful. And shepherds, they, they didn't really have the greatest reputation. They were the humble part of society, and they were the nobodies that lived in the midst of a bunch of somebodies. You could say it this way, if you were accused of a crime, and the only witness that you had to take the stand for your defense was a shepherd, you were in trouble. That's how they were seen. They're lowly men. But notice, as the angels come, they announce that this is good news of great joy for all the people. It's for everybody. The, the, The whole world is gathered because Caesar wanted to count all the people in his empire. He wanted to tax all the people in his empire. So, as Jesus is born, the angel declares it's good news for all the people. In verse 11, it says, 
unto you. It's personal. It's intimate. We're, we're to read this as Luke writes it, and we're to take it to mean us. It's to you. Whether you believe about yourself, you're the highest of high, or whether you have surmised that you are part of the lowliest, the weakest, the marginalized, a nobody. It's for you. And then Luke gives three descriptions. Listen to what it says in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, and then three words, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior, Christ and the Lord. See, only three times in the New Testament that those three words appear all together in the same verse. When it says a Savior, here's what you could think about. If you've ever sinned against God, you need a Savior. If you've ever sinned, if you've ever done something and the pain of your conscience strikes you right in the midst of your heart, you have sinned and you need a Savior. And the angel told Joseph in Matthew's gospel, you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And the reality is only God can save sin, sinners. Only God can forgive sins. It's why God sent the eternal Son of God into the world, because he's God. It's why Jesus said that the Son of Man, speaking about himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. A Savior is born. Well, he goes on and calls him the Christ. English for Christos, which means anointed one. It's where we get the word Messiah from. The, the one that's long predicted and long awaited. The one anointed above all others. The, the one that as we've been looking in the month of December at all the Old Testament passages that prophesy the coming of the Messiah, here he is. Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says... In him, in Jesus, all the promises of God are yes. He would fulfill the hopes and dreams of Israel. Because he's also, it says, the Lord. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the ruler, the Sovereign, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Lord of the universe. The, the one who exercises supernatural authority over all things. Unto you, your Savior, your hope, your everlasting God. It's this surprising grace that gets announced. And interestingly enough, it's the last time in the Gospels that, that uh, really in all the New Testament that an angel is going to preach the Gospel. From, from here on out, that's up to you and me. From here on out, that's up to men and women and children to announce the Gospels. But the shepherds, the shepherds hear the very first proclamation of the Gospel and it come, came from heaven itself. In verse 13, it's a remarkable scene. Look at what it says. It says, And suddenly there was with the angel 
the angel who had announced the birth of Jesus, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. Kind of takes your breath away if you think about it. If one angel left the shepherds shaking in their boots with fear, imagine what a whole army of angels did. It's what the word means when it says heavenly hosts. It means army, an army of angels. You might think of it this way. It took one angel to deliver the good news to the shepherds, and it took the whole army of angels to respond to that good news. Gives us a hint, the magnitude of the event, that the glory to God in the highest. They're the first carolers, you might think about it this way. The angels are caroling for the shepherds. And they announce a, a peace, a peace on earth. What kind of peace is that? Well, if you've been with us on Sunday mornings, we, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago in Isaiah. It said this, For unto us a child is born, a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of his government and of his peace, Isaiah says, There will be no end. He goes on to say it'll happen from this time forth and forevermore. God was summoning the whole world to fulfill his word, to establish his son. And he's going to do it, Isaiah will say with zeal. God's glory comes, it's revealed in the birth of this child. God's peace comes everywhere that he is received. And of the increase, there will be no end. Aren't you glad, by the way, you're sitting in here and not outside in the rain? <laughs> Me too. I tell you, the next time we see this heavenly host, this army of God, you have to go all the way to the book of Revelation in Revelation chapter 5. And there's this scene and they're looking around to who's going to open the scrolls and break the seals. And John says, I looked and I heard around the throne, and, uh, heard and around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. God received infinite glory, and we get unending peace. Well, I want to show you one more thing in this passage, and it's back in verse 12. It says this, as the angel announces to the shepherds, they say, look, you're going to go, and I want you to go look for the baby, and this is how you'll know. This is how you'll find the baby. In verse 12, a sign's going to be given, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, 
and lying in a manger. You can picture the scene, right? If you've ever seen a newborn baby, you know, wrapped up in the blanket, maybe it has their name on it, and, you know, they're wrapped up, and it's, they're wrapped up tight, and they're laid down in their, in their crib. This is the sign. He's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's going to be wrapped in these clothes, and he's going to be lying in a manger. And to tell you what a manger would have looked like back then, you could think of a little carve-out, little cut-out in a cave where the animals would have gone to eat the feed that was put out for them. He was laid in a feed trough. That's what the word means. It's the sign. It's a sign announced by angels, a heavenly sign, a sign from God, a sign that will make unmistakably clear that the child that has come from God has been born, that God the Son has become a man and dwells among us. The Christ is here. Salvation's here. You'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then the choir of angels shows up and they sing. Multitude of hosts. The sign. Think about it this way. This is what the sign was. That the baby would be wrapped up like a mummy would be lying in a stone trough that looks like a tiny coffin. That's the sign. The Son of God, the eternal Son of God, the, the Word, the beloved, the high King of the universe and all of creation, He enters the world in a cave, born to the poverty in the midst of scandal to a teenage girl, welcomed by smelly night shift shepherds, and greeted with what would have looked like grave clothes and a coffin. And all of this, the angels say, is a sign. I wonder if when Luke was writing this gospel, and it tells us at the beginning that he, he interviewed all kinds of people that would have known these stories, and likely Luke would have interviewed Mary and I, and I wonder if if in the interview that Mary has with Luke I wonder if a lump doesn't well up in her throat when she tells the detail of this sign See in many ways it hardly makes sense that that's the sign until you get to the very end of the story the very end of Luke's gospel because near the end of the Luke's gospel, what you do, what you find is you find Jesus has lived his life. He's, he's um, engaged in his ministry for a little bit over three years. He ends up at the end of his life being in Jerusalem, being arrested by the religious leaders, turned over to the Roman authorities. He is whipped, beaten, put on trial, found guilty, of crimes and offenses that he did not commit. And then he'll be nailed to a cross where he will hang and die. After he's dead, a man named Joseph of Arimathea will come and ask for his body and take his body and tend it with spices and prepare him for burial. 
And it tells us that this Joseph, he'd been looking for the kingdom of God, and everyone reading the gospel was looking for the kingdom of God. And he takes the dead body of Jesus off the cross, wraps him in grave clothes, and lays him in a tomb that's cut out of stone. Listen as I read the beginning and the ending of the story together. This will be the sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Then you go all the way to the end of the story, and it says this. Then he, Joseph, took the body down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever been laid. And in an instant, all of a sudden, the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus come together. So what we discover is what Jesus came to do all along. He came to take our place. We who were born and we were bound in sin, we were rebellious, we were born to die. We were born in poverty. Our stories, they're scandalous, every one of them. All our stories are. Even the best among us, you have sin and shame, stains in your life. Jesus entered the world as one of us. He became one of us. He became man. God became man. It's what we call the incarnation. And he gave himself to us. And then he gave himself up for us. Not only did he take on our humanity, he clothed himself in all our sin, all our rebellion, all our scandal. And then he took our place in death. He died our death wearing our grave clothes, bound up in our sin. But the great news is that the Bible tells us he doesn't leave us naked. He, he clothes us. He takes our filthy rags and he clothes us in his robes of righteousness and all his perfection, all his beauty. He trades places with us. And that's the great news. So the story doesn't end in a manger. And it doesn't end at the cross. And it doesn't end in the grave. It ends with the resurrection. Because three days later, though the women that had been part of his ministry, including his mother, came to mourn him. They, they loved him. And so they came early in the morning to his tomb. But when they get there, they find the tomb opened, the body's gone, and the grave clothes are lying there folded up. The grave is empty. And you know who saw it? The, the sign? Who, who's the gospel for? Well, the first recipients, a grieving mother, a scandalous woman, a friend who betrayed Jesus in his greatest hour of need, denying that he even knew him, cursed him. And all the while, there are angels there announcing the good news. See, when you hear the good news announced, and you're able to hear it, you're able to truly hear it. Unto you, a Savior is born. That's when the gospel breaks in. 
That's when God's grace comes into your life and it surprises you and, and, and it does something to you. It'll change you forever. Well, that's how the story that I began earlier concludes. The best Christmas pageant ever. Well, Christmas Eve arrived. Mom didn't know what to expect. It felt like a terrible disaster was about to descend. There were the usual chaos as kids arrived. Little shepherds were, and angels were crying and cranky. They were all in the wrong place. The lights dimmed and the music began. Oh, little town of Bethlehem was the cue for Mary and Joseph to enter. But the herdmen's hadn't arrived. They were nowhere in sight. What was the delay? The music ended and humming was put in its place. The anticipation was building. Did the herdmen's bail? Ralph and Imogene suddenly appeared. But there was no shoving or pushing. They just stood there as if they were weren't sure if they were in the right place. Maybe it was the crowd or the dimmed lights. Mary was dressed in her costume, but the veil was crooked, and she wore these huge earrings. Ralph looked uncomfortable on the stage. They looked like refugees when we, that you see on the television news. That's what it must have been like for the Holy Family. Feeling lost and out of place, uncertain what will happen next. They were stuck out in the barn. No one cared what happened to them. They, they weren't neat or tidy. Perhaps Mary and Joseph looked a lot more like Imogene and Ralph than we care to admit. Imogene held up the baby as if to burp it on her shoulder. Did, did baby Jesus have colic? Isn't that the point, though? Jesus was born, lived, and would die a real person. This night, the baby seemed more real than most other Christmas Eves. Next, Gladys stomped in. Her dirty sneakers stuck out from under her robe. Her halo was on crooked. Since Gladys was the only one in the pageant who had anything to say, she made the most of it. Hey, unto you a child's born. She hollered it as if for sure it was the best news in the world. All the shepherds trembled, sore afraid of Gladys mainly, but it looked good anyway. Leroy, Claude, and Ollie came in, but they didn't have the glass bath bead jars that were used in the other years. They came quietly and placed a ham at the feet of Mary and the baby. Barbara knew where it came from. She'd seen her dad work at the church Christmas committee to prepare family baskets, food baskets for the poor. Each basket got a ham. And the Herdman's Christmas, this was the Herdman's Christmas charity ham. People never knew these kids to give anything away. When it was time for the cast to exit, the Herdman's must have forgot. They just stayed there. They were quiet, just taking the whole scene in. There was a mysterious serenity that took over the place. The lights dimmed more. The candles were lit by the peoples in the pew. Everyone began to sing Silent Night. Barbara looked over at Imogene, and she was crying. Imogene Herdman was crying. In the candlelight, her face was all shiny with tears. and She didn't even bother to wipe them away. She just sat there, awful old Imogene, in her crookedy veil, crying and crying and crying.
The tears streamed down her face as she tightly clutched the baby doll. Oh, awful Imogene. With a crooked veil and huge earrings and smudged face, sitting there crying. This is the best Christmas pageant ever. This was the funny thing about it all. For years I'd thought about the wonder of Christmas and the mystery of Jesus' birth and never really understood it. But now, because of the Herdmans, it didn't seem so mysterious after all. When Imogene had asked, had asked me what the pageant was about, and I told her it was about Jesus, but that was just part of it. It was about a new baby and his mother and father, and they were in a lot of trouble, and they had no money and no place to go and no doctor, and nobody knew they knew. And then arriving from the east, like my uncle from New Jersey, some rich friends. But, but Imogene, I guess she didn't see it that way. Christmas came over her all at once like a case of chills and fever. And so she was crying and walking into the furniture. Afterward, there were candy canes and little tiny testaments for everyone and a poinsettia plant for my mother and from the whole Sunday school. We put the costumes away and folded up the collapsible manger. And just before we left, my father snuffed out the last of the tall white candles. I guess that's everything, he said, as he stood at the back of the church. It's all over now. It was quite a pageant. Then he looked at my mother. What's that you've got? It's the ham, she said. They wouldn't take it back. They wouldn't take any candy either or any of the little Bibles. But Imogene did ask me for a set of Bible story pictures, and she took out the picture of Mary and said it was exactly right, whatever that means. I think it meant that no matter how she saw her saw. No matter how she saw herself, Imogene liked the idea of Mary in the picture, all pink and white and pure-looking, as if she never washed the dishes or cooked supper or did anything at all except have Jesus on Christmas Eve. But as far as I'm concerned, Mary's always going to look a lot like Imogene Herdman, sort of nervous and bewildered, but ready to clobber anyone who laid a hand on her baby. When we came out of the church that night, it was cold and clear, with crunchy snow underfoot and bright, bright stars overhead. I thought about the angel of the Lord, Gladys, with her skinny legs and dirty sneakers sticking out from under her robe, yelling at all of us everywhere, hey, unto you, a child is born, indeed, unto us, a child is born. His name's Jesus. And he comes to change the lives of each one of us. He comes for all of us. Every single one of us. Hope this is the best Christmas ever for you and for your loved ones. Merry Christmas. Would you bow with me? Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning... for the men and the women and children, moms and dads and children, and Father, all our friends from Bethel Kids who are here today. I pray for all of us that we would hear the gospel this morning, the good news of great joy, that your son Jesus stepped out of heaven, stepped out of eternity, into history 
into this world. Became one of us. Father, so that he became one of us so that he could do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And then, Father, he would die the death that only we deserved. Be laid in a grave and then resurrected to new life. And then invites us, every one of us, to follow him. To believe him, to trust him. And in trusting him, we would be saved. So, Father, I pray that you would do those things that only you can do in our hearts and our minds this morning. And I pray that your grace would crash right in to our world. So we ask this the only way we can. In the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit, amen. Well, if you would, would you stand with me? We'll be dismissed. Hope you have a merry, merry Christmas. May the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you. Amen.